This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Well, I asked you to turn to Ephesians 3 um, because we're going to take a look at Paul's prayer here in a moment. I'm marveling how God has been present among us already. So the, the three prophetic words that we heard and then what Bill shared are essentially my sermon. I'm like, well, I don't know what to say now. We, we'll, we'll give it a go. I mean, we could stop here and go back to sing, Zach. We'd be, that'd be good. But we've heard from God already the themes that are in this passage. And um, hopefully, hopefully that's a work of God. And hopefully this sermon helps strengthen you. Uh, not, not this coming week, but the following week, you're going to dedicate a week of praying together. You've done that for several years now. You've, you did that last year, and that reveals again your example, your example of being a people who know they are dependent upon Christ, and therefore you need to pray together. Uh, so your, your pastors have asked me to preach from Ephesians 3. We're going to look at verses 14 through 16, which is one of two of Paul's prayers recorded in this letter. In fact, if you step back from the letter of Ephesians, you see a couple of major themes. One of those consistent themes is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Just a a, a few quick examples. For the believer, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, and that Spirit is a guarantee. A guarantee when we question our faith. A guarantee that we will make it to our eternal home, chapter 1, verse 13. It's the Spirit that gives us wisdom, chapter 1, verse 17. It's the Spirit that regenerates our hearts, those that were dead in sin, and makes us alive in Christ, chapter 2, verse 5. The Spirit brings unity in the church, and the Spirit is something that we daily need to be filled with. It's written in present tense language, Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. So you see this theme of the Holy Spirit throughout the letter. Another consistent theme is that of prayer. As I mentioned, two of Paul's prayers are in this letter. The first is in chapter 1, verses 15 uh, through uh, 23, where, where Paul prays for the Ephesians that they would receive knowledge and power and wisdom through the Spirit. And then this prayer that we're going to look at here. And then Paul, Paul takes those two prayers and says in chapter 6, verse 19, pray at all times in the Spirit. That's how he says it. And then specifically ask, pray for me so I'll be bold to share the gospel of Christ. And those two themes, the Spirit and the prayer, we find here in this second prayer recorded for us in Ephesians chapter 3. So the title of this sermon is the Spirit, and prayer. And we're going to read verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word. Most trips that I take in serving our churches in Sovereign Grace, I get on the plane, I text Jill, I say, boarded, miss you already, love you much. And she texts me back with a number of emojis. I don't know what emojis mean. I think it means she likes me. That's what I'm going with. And then she says, I'm praying for you. And typically she knows why I'm traveling. She will tell me specifically how she's praying for me. She's She knows I'm leading through a meeting or preaching in some meeting or at some church. See, when I receive those texts from Jill, knowing that she's not just praying for me, but praying specifically for me, it it strengthens my faith. I share that with you because this, this letter is written to a specific group of people. It's written to a church. And because this prayer is recorded for all time, it's written for you, a church. And Paul is communicating that he is praying for the Ephesians. And that must have been very meaningful to them. And we know from this text, he tells them specifically why he's praying for them. Just how Jill tells me she specifically is praying for me. We know that because he begins verse 14 by saying, for this reason. So for what reason? What specific reason is Paul praying this prayer for the Ephesians. We find our answer in chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to do what? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is, hid, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So Paul is praying because it is through the church It's through the church that God says, I'm going to make my plan known, my my manifold wisdom known, my desire for those who don't know Christ to know this mystery that's been hidden for the ages. And that mystery we know is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And according to verse 10, this manifold wisdom, this declaration of this ministry, of this mystery is made through the local church. Churches like Cornerstone Church. So it tells you that you have a grand cosmic purpose as a church. It's this, to proclaim to those who don't know him the unsearchable riches of Christ, as the text says. So it's for that reason. That's the reason that Paul is praying for the church in Ephesians that is marked by the presence of the Spirit and given this vital role to continue the work of the gospel as they are filled with and led by the Spirit of God. But did you note in verse 8 how Paul describes himself? 
He describes himself in verse 8 as the very least of all the saints. It's a reference to his own weakness. Bill spoke about his weakness. We're aware of our weaknesses. And it's, it's in that weakness, according to verse 7, that Paul prayed and Paul received power to do the work that God had given him to do, to reveal to the Gentiles the riches of Christ. So it's out of his own personal experience of receiving God's power by the Spirit that Paul wants the Ephesians, he wants Cornerstone Church to have that same experience as you pray to receive power for what Christ has called you to do as his church. And if you study Paul's letters, and his prayers in particular, he often references his own weakness. And then out of that weakness, he prays. And he prays for power in particular. His prayers are marked by please, please, P-L-E-A-S, for power. So you're dedicating a week to prayer, not this coming week, but the following week. Because you're pastors, because you collectively, together, you need God's power, don't you? You need God's power to accomplish this cosmic grand purpose that God has given you. So hopefully to equip you for this week coming up, there are three things this text teaches us about prayer. Here's the first. Prayer expresses humble dependency. Humble dependency. We see that in verses 14 and 15. Look at those again. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So the, the bowing of the knee is important because it communicates reverence and awe and worship to God. It's an expression of true humility. Because true humility isn't, first of all, about our morality. It isn't about how we act. It's, it's a recognition of who we are before God. And who is God as described here? He is the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. But what does that mean? Why is Paul describing him that way? Well, it's, it's a phrase that's addressing God as creator. He's the one that's created every family in heaven. He's created all the angels. And he's the one that's created every being on earth. He's created people. So this prayer then is the right reflection of the creature-creator relationship. Prayer is an expression of the finite, of the finite creature who in humble dependency cries out to the infinite creator that has made us. It's the right dis disposition and expression of the weak to the almighty strong asking him to do what we creatures cannot do on our own. See, prayer is a cry from the weak to the heart of the strong. That's what prayer is. And God allows events to occur in our lives that reveal our weakness. Bill talked about that in what he shared. You are familiar with that as a church. Just as I've gotten to know you and heard even stories over this weekend, you've, you've walked through things together. You've got the untimely diagnosis of a terminal 
disease of some kind, of a member. And they died younger than you wanted them to die. You've grieved together. You've experienced loss together. Those experiences, they, they put you on, their, on your knees, don't they? When you, get, when you heard about Bill needing heart surgery, I'm sure it dropped you and put you on your knees and that you prayed for him and shared. See, God allows, as Bill said, suffering and trials and challenges into our lives so that we can not only recognize but actually embrace our weaknesses so that we can be reminded that we're not God. Be reminded that we're not the creator but rather we are the creature and therefore in humble dependence we dependency we fall on our knees and we pray we petition him for power the, the falling on the knees by the way it, it, it not only communicates humility it communicates a sense of fervency and urgency paul's on his knees because these petitions need to be answered now and so he's praying passionately to God. That's what trials, that's what hardships, that's what difficulties, that's what awareness of weakness does. It, re, it reminds us that we urgently need God's power in our lives. So let me ask you this question. You might need to think about it, and hopefully it serves you in the week coming up in next, the following week. Where in your life right now do you need God's power? Where do you need God's power? See, that need is to be turned into a plea, a request, an ask for power. Where, where in the lives of those you know in your church, where do they need God's power? Now, those needs need to be turned to requests where you can pray for one another. Not only now, but in the week that you will pray together as a church. Prayer, it reveals our humble dependency. Second thing it reveals, prayer is a plea for power. So I want, you, I want you to be convinced, not by what I say, but from this text, that when you ask God for power, he is more than able to answer that prayer. How, how do we know that he is more than able? Look at verse 16 with me. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So how do you know that God is able to answer your prayers for power? He's able because he has infinite riches of glory that he can draw from. But what does that phrase mean? What's Paul mean there? Riches of glory, infinite riches of glory. Well, if you study the original language, glory essentially means all of God's attributes. In other words, there's an infinite supply, an infinite well, an infinite reservoir of goodness and strength and power and wisdom and grace that can be accessed and received by us when we ask through, for it through prayer. In other words, all of God's attributes... All of his goodness, all of his love, all of his power, all of his wisdom, all of his knowledge, they, they are what 
Paul is calling power, and that is given to us when we ask for it in prayer. His power is greater, it's greater than any need that we have. We heard Mitch say that from the mic this morning prophetically. He was saying that we can't, our needs can't outstrip God's power. We can't impoverish God with our needs because he has these, these riches of glory. These infinite riches of glory that are available to us. So, in our weakness, and some of you feel your weakness this morning, in maybe trials that you're going through or difficulties that you have, here's what God wants you to hear. You have infinite supplies, infinite riches of glory. That God is eager to give you if you ask him in prayer. And did you note the the role of the Holy Spirit there in the verse? The the, the verse says this. Actually, look at verse 16 again. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through what? Through his spirit in your inner being. See, we, we we are strengthened with God's power through the spirit as the Spirit gives it to us in our lives. This divine power that we will be given, it comes through the the work and through the agency of the Holy Spirit. That's consistent with what other New Testament passages say about this. Jesus said it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, but before his ascension, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Paul says a similar thing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in what? Demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So when you pray for power, it is given to you. It's dispensed almost into your life through the work and the agency of the Holy Spirit. Jill and I, we grew up in the Midwest. Uh, we're both from Indiana. Actually, I was born in Illinois. I was born in Peoria, Illinois. And we lived there until I was about eight and then moved to central Indiana so I could meet Jill. That's why the God, was, God was moving me there. And uh, at that time in Peoria, just outside of Peoria, my grandparents owned a farm. Uh, my grandfather, he, he was a butcher. Uh, he, he grew corn and beans, and he uh, raised sheep as well. And sold the wool, obviously. And I love being on this farm, especially in the summer. I'd love to go and help my grandfather work. I love to run around this farm. I love climbing through the big barn that they have. And one of my distinct memories about, about this farm is running around on a hot summer day or working hard and you're just thirsty. And near one of the outbuildings, there was this pipe that came out of the ground. And there was a, a spigot on top that had a handle on it. And tied to that handle was a little tin cup. And whenever I was thirsty, I would go to that and pull up the handle, take the tin cup and pull that handle up. And the most wonderful tasting, coldest, refreshing water I can remember ever tasting would fill that cup and I would drink it and I would be strengthened and refreshed. See, that's what we're doing when we pray. We're taking our tin cups and we're dipping them into the well an infinite well of the riches 
of God's glory. And as we receive that power, as we receive it from God, it strengthens us and it refreshes us. And it gives us faith to continue to do what he has called us to do as individual Christians and as disciples. See, a right view of God. You've got to have a right view of God and a right view of the infinite riches of his glory. That will only stir us to pray because it's impossible for us to ask God for too much. So when you pray together as a church, don't limit your prayers. Pray great prayers together. Don't be afraid to ask God for too much because he has infinite riches of glory, infinite supplies of power that he is eager to give you. But you must ask. Charles Spurgeon says this, It is strange how little we make of the spiritual blessings which God gives us, but it is stranger still how little use we make of God himself. Though he is our own God, we apply ourselves but little to him and ask but little of him. How seldom do we ask counsel at the hands of the Lord? How often do we go about our business without seeking his guidance? In our troubles, how constantly do we strive to bear our burdens ourselves instead of casting them upon the Lord that he may sustain us? This is not because we may not, for the Lord seems to say, I am thine soul. Come and make use of me as you will. You may freely come to my store. And the oftener you and the oftener, the more you are welcome. Then he says this: It is our own fault if we make not free with the riches of our God. So are you enjoying and apprehending the infinite riches of glory that God is eager to give you? But but why was Paul? Why was Paul praying this prayer for the Ephesians? To be strengthened with power through the Spirit. We, we, as we pray for power, the verse tells us there in verse 16 that the Spirit gives us this power and does its work in our inner being. That's what it says there in verse 16. So according to verse 16, we ask God for power. He gives it to us through the Spirit. And the Spirit works in our inner being. And that language is very, very helpful because it tells us how or when we are experiencing God's power. So how do you know if you are experiencing God's power? Well, what happens in verse 17? Look at verse 17. So it comes into our inner being, so because, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's one expression of power being given to us. So when God's infinite power through the Spirit is at work in our inner being who who works to transform us, to make us like Christ who is in us. That's what Paul is saying there in verse 17. In other words, what Paul is praying for is the Ephesians' need for power to grow in Christ-likeness. That's what he's praying for. D.A. Carson says it this way, this is a plea for power, power to be holy, power to think, act, and talk in ways utterly pleasing to Christ, power to strengthen moral resolve, power to walk in transparent gratitude to God, power to be humble, power to be discerning, power to be obedient and trusting, power to grow in conformity to Jesus Christ. 
See, God's gospel power is not some abstract idea. It's not some abstract power. It's very real. It's very genuine. It works in our lives when we ask for it, and it has this transforming effect, making us more like Christ. So our need from God's, for God's power not only springs from the trials and the weaknesses we are aware of, it springs from the fact that indwelling sin still remains, and we need God's power to grow in Christ. He's praying that over the course of our life, we would be sanctified progressively and become more like Christ. It's very interesting to me where this prayer is placed in the letter. So it's, it's, it's in Ephesians 3, in the first three, the first three chapters, as you well know, he's, he's proclaimed the gospel. It's the gospel indicative, you say it that way. And then after eloquently communicating that, he moves to gospel application in chapters 4 through 6, which include us putting off the old self, right, and putting on the new self. So what, what do we need to do that, to put off the old self and to put on the new self? We need power. We need power to walk in humility and to be gentle and to bear with one another in love, chapter 4, verse 1. We need power to put off the old self and put on the new, verses, chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. We need power to not let any corrupting talk to come out of our mouths, but only talk, only words that build others up, chapter 4, verse 29. We need power as husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Wives need power to respect their husbands and to, to encourage and to help in their leadership. Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33. I need that power. I was sharing on the retreat with the, the leaders that uh, one of the tendencies I've seen in my life recently is I'm impatient with Jill. And I was sharing with the leaders that I've shared that obviously with Jill. I mean, confessed it to her, asked for her forgiveness I've told my community group about it because I need their help. But it's also an area of prayer for me. Because I, I, I believe I'm impatient either because I'm being arrogant in the moment or I'm being selfish and I'm not getting what I want. That's what I see in my heart, at least as far as I can see. And I can't change myself without God's help and without God's power. I think this is important because I think most of us can have this tendency to have, as what John Owen called, these hard thoughts about God, which are wrong thoughts about God. We can be discouraged. Maybe we've got guilt or shame because we just, we've just been sinning more recently and we don't, we're just unhappy with our, our Christian walk. We're not growing the way that we want. And in those moments, we can think about God incorrectly, we can have these hard thoughts that somehow God's disappointed with us, that he's, he's just, he's done with us, uh, with us, he throws up his hands and he just kind of steps away. That's a hard thought. We know that because of what this verse says. This verse says that Christ dwells within us. Christ dwells in our hearts and because of Christ, God the Father is eager to give each of you 
power through the Spirit so that you can be more like Jesus. That's what that prayer is about. So if you're here and maybe, maybe you're just a bit frustrated, not, not happy with how you're growing in Christ, that's a need, and that's a need that needs to be turned into a plea for God's power to help you. One of the things that you prayed for last year, as I was looking at your prayer list, Jake sent it to me, was exactly this, that you would grow in Christ. And knowing you the way I do, you'll pray that again, not this week, this week but the, the week next. You'll pray that together. And I hope this message helps you to have faith that God's going to answer that prayer and this church is going to look much more like Christ a year from now because of his amazing power. Now, we got to understand, Paul is not done praying yet. He's not done praying yet. Look, look at the rest of verse 17, and we'll go to 19. Flip back over. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength, power, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So we know that Paul is writing to Christians because of the language he's using there. He's using rooted and grounded language, grounded in love language. Those are foundational words, aren't they? That tell you that the gospel has come to them and transformed them and Christ dwells in them. Gospel foundations have been laid. And so Paul walks out on that gospel foundation and he prays for the Ephesians to have power to know the love of Christ. The question is why? Why is he praying that way? They already know the love of Christ. They've, they've received the love of Christ. They've been born again. Well, keep verses 14 and 15 in view, reminding us that we're finite creatures and that God is our creator, which means that you and I have limitations. We, are fi we have finite limitations to be able to grasp and understand how much Jesus loves us. That's what you've got to keep in view. That's why he prays for the Ephesians to have strength and power to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's an infinite love that our finite minds are trying to wrap around, right? And so we need power from God. It's important that you understand this verse accurately. This is not a prayer for power that we would love Jesus more. It's rather the other way around. This is a prayer for power that you would know that Jesus loves you even more. That's what Bill was saying. He knows me. And Bill experienced Jesus' love. Paul assumes that apart from the power of God, you and I will not have a full appreciation for how much Christ loves us. We need God's power to grasp and enjoy and, and appreciate the limitless love of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying to the Ephesians, on this one, you never arrive. The Ephesians can't say, we know the love of Christ, check that off the box. We got it. And may that never be said about Cornerstone Church. May, may, you, may you realize that your need is for power 
from God through the Spirit so that you can know the height and depth and length and breadth of this infinite love that Christ has for each of you and for Cornerstone Church. May, may we be content with all that we have in Christ, but may we never be satisfied of fully knowing how much Christ loves us. And if you're here this morning and you've doubted Christ's love for you recently, that's a need. And God doesn't want you to leave here today doubting Christ's love for you. That need needs to be turned to a plea for power. Give me power to know how much Jesus loves me. All right, third thing we learn from prayer. Prayer reveals the glory of Christ. Prayer reveals the glory of Christ, verses 20 and 21. It's kind of a doxology, isn't it? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, can't ask him for too much, that all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in this church, Cornerstone Church, and in Christ, in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul saying, Answered prayer reveals the glory of God. It reveals the glory of God, and it's revealed, as you can see here, in the church and through the church and through the people of the church. Answered prayer reveals Christ, God's limitless power that is at work within us, as it says in verse 20. So when you pray, that his gospel power changes you so that you love your wife as Christ loves the church sacrificially. When, when you pray to grow in humility, counting others more significant than yourselves. When you pray that he would give you power to put off anger and be patient with your children. All of those expressions of answered prayer, they give God glory. And the ones that I, I just mentioned, they happen in those mundane moments. See, I, I think most Christian growth happens in, those, in the mundane of life. Now, we have wonderful growth. There can be these sort of explosions of growth, these big events. Something happens. But most of our growth as Christians happens in the mundane of every day. In our homes, in the workplace, on the college campus, and as you are together in the church. In other words, the mundane, the grind of the day-to-day -day is a wonderful arena of worship for you as you pray for power and God transforms you and makes you more like Christ. As God transforms you and gives you faith and even joy in the midst of suffering and trial. When people see that and they just can't quite understand it, there's only one explanation. They can't, they can't credit you for that. And so they give God glory. When, when you and I, we live secure, very secure, in the love of Christ, as we walk through maybe our most severe trial, when we walk 
confident in Christ, when we are being falsely accused, when, when we are being slandered, when people are rejecting us and yet we still move towards them, there's only one explanation. This is an otherworldly power given to this person to do things I know they can't do. And so it gives God glory. When we have contentment and joy, regardless of our circumstances, we reveal the power of God that is at work in us, and it brings God glory. Let me end with this. It's, it's a question I asked very near the beginning. Where in your life, right now, where in your life do you need God's power? I don't know what that might be. I don't know how you would answer that question, but that's where God is calling you to pray. And that's where God is calling you to pray for one another. If you, if you are not growing in the way you want as a Christian, that's where God's calling you to pray. That's the first thing you should do, is to pray or ask God's help. If you have arrived here this morning and recently have been doubting Christ's love for you, that's where God's calling you to pray and to pray one another because prayer petitions God for power and through the spirit he gives it to us so that we can be changed and transformed so that our lives can bring him glory amen let's pray Lord we we thank you for this prayer recorded for us for all eternity and we can pray this prayer and I pray that as this church prays individually I pray as this church prays together in, the, in, the, in just a couple of weeks that you would hear their prayers and that you would grant every person here and this church here power. Power in what area of need that they have and may, may they ask great prayers as they pray. And may you answer them in a way that it's clear this is your otherworldly power at work in their lives. And may everyone here and may this church continue to bring you much glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865 694 4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.